Good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan Schreckengast, and I'm one of the preachers here at GFC. Um, I don't have a lot of experience in a courtroom, uh, but I do have one personal example that I love to share, and so I will share it with you this morning. Um, when I was in college, I received a traffic citation uh, for blocking a private driveway uh, with my vehicle. And this was a modest offense with a modest fine, uh, and one for which I was guilty. Uh, but I found myself ready to go into the courtroom to plead my case and ask the judge to reduce the fee because of special circumstances. The special circumstances being that the driveway that I had blocked was my driveway. It was, it was my own driveway, and yes, I blocked it, but it was mine. Um, and I was confident when I went into the courtroom because my request was logical. And I was confident because I'm a fairly well-spoken person. And I was confident because at that time I was watching a lot of courtroom TV dramas. <laughs> but as soon as I went into that court and I faced the judge, my confidence completely evaporated. <laughs> my hands were literally dripping with sweat. I couldn't even make eye contact with the judge. And when she was asking me questions, I try stammered and I babbled and I made a completely incoherent case for myself. And the judge finally did actually release me completely from the penalty, uh, but only because she was a just judge, not because of any of my pitiful showing in the courtroom. And today we're going to pick up uh, our study again in Isaiah from page 388, if you're reading from the church Bibles. Um, and the setting of this passage is another courtroom drama, and it's far more epic than my small example. We'll start in Isaiah 41, 21 through 24, by seeing Yahweh issue a challenge to all other gods. Then in 41, 25 through 29, Yahweh will crush those challengers, and he will show how it's really done. Then in 42, 1 through 9, Yahweh takes it even a step further and he shows off a little bit, leaving no room for even the slightest doubt. And finally, 42, 10 through 17, Yahweh will accept the prize that's rightfully his. Now, earlier in chapter 41, God calls forth the strength of nations to be judged. And despite their best efforts, their strength pales in comparison to the Lord. To Yahweh. A point of clarification, uh, when you see the capitalized word Lord in the Bible, that's God's personal name, Yahweh. And so I will use those interchangeably this morning. So today we'll continue this courtroom scene. God, having utterly shamed the strength of man, calls forth the other gods and gives them the chance to speak and to act in their own defense. And I love this picture. I love to picture this scene because it is so glorious. And it makes my pitiful presentation in the courtroom look pretty good by comparison, actually. So let's look at the first point on your outline. Yahweh issues a challenge. And we'll start by setting some context. So where do we pick up this continuing courtroom scene? For context, we've jumped forward to the place where Jerusalem has been in Babylonian captivity now for 70 years. And God is bringing them good news in the form of a prophetic letter 
that their sentence is over. Isaiah 41 says this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her hardship is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so the question before the people is this, who is responsible then for this salvation? Who do we have to thank? God brought us into this judgment, but who is responsible for freeing us? We're on the eve of the end of 70 years of suffering, and it seems to be all thanks to the military might of the Persian Empire. And so God calls everyone together into the courtroom to settle this issue. First up, the combined strength of all of mankind. Earlier in chapter 41, God calls forth the strength of the nations to be judged. 41.1 says, Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Let them speak. Let us draw near for judgment. But as we heard in previous weeks, the strength of all the nations, even those mighty nations to whom Jerusalem is only a prize, is as nothing compared to Yahweh. God says in 41, 11, and 13, Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. For I, Yahweh your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. So it's clearly been not the strength of nations that determines the outcome of God's people. So maybe if it's not the strength of Persia, then maybe it's the strength of Persia's gods. Or maybe the gods of all of the nations that contend together in some spiritual battle to determine the fate of mankind. Let's start today's passage by reading Isaiah 41, 21 through 24. And we'll hear the challenge that Yahweh issues to these other gods. Set forth your case, says Yahweh. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what has happened, what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. God, the judge, sets these idols three challenges to demonstrate their power to save and their worthiness to accept praise. First, he challenges them to bring forth evidence of their past deeds. Verse 22, tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we might know their outcome. 
If you're the one responsible for salvation, then just give examples of the times that you've saved in the past. Let the court weigh the outcomes of the past. Second, he challenges them to predict the future. Verse 22b and 23a. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Okay, if you don't have a strong resume of past deeds, that's fine. Just demonstrate your mastery over the course of history, and we'll accept that as good enough. Third, he challenged them, challenges them to perform miracles. Verse 23b, do good or do harm that we may know that we may be dismayed and terrified. If the requests for your, your resume and to predict the future are too specific, just do literally anything. Go ahead. We'll wait. The camera pans over to the wooden statue a foot high. Silent. Immobile. Behold, you are nothing. And now God switches roles. He takes off his judge's robe. He jumps down from the bench. He walks around and he sits down. He says, excuse me, as he shifts the idol to the side and sets it on the floor and takes its place in the witness stand. Just, just let, me, let me show you what I mean, God says to the idol. Read with me Isaiah 41, 25 through 29. And let's see how Yahweh crushes his challengers. I stirred up one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun, and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay. Who declared it from the beginning that we might know? And beforehand that we might say, he is right. There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Zion, behold, here they are. And I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one. Among, there, among these, there is no counselor. Who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. So, to continue the courtroom scene, God sits down and he brings forth Exhibit A, Cyrus of Persia. Verse 25, I stirred up one from the north and he has come from the rising of the sun and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar as the potter treads clay. It was established earlier in this prophecy that God is the one at the helm of history. And the rise of Cyrus, who was the conquering king of Persia, he would overthrow Babylon 
and restore Jerusalem to its people. And this point in history is ordained by the Lord. Isaiah 41.4 says, Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I, Yahweh, the first and the last. I am he. So Jerusalem, you want to see a demonstration of challenge number three? Of God doing good and or harm? You need look no further than the current events. God is using Cyrus to bring about your salvation and the destruction of your enemies. Significant glance at the wooden idol still sitting on the floor, not doing anything. Exhibit B, the prophecy of Isaiah itself. At least a couple of the other GFC preachers have already mentioned that scholars debate whether the first and second portions of Isaiah are in fact written by the same author. And this is a debate because of the dramatically different audience and tone and setting of the book, of the first part of the book and the second part of the book. But consider with me for a minute the purpose of this book, which is to lay out a case for the incomparable majesty of God, glory, and the saving power of Yahweh. So I and the other preachers here think that it is not only possible for the second part of Isaiah to have been written by the same author as the first, but it is fully in keeping with the overall goals of the book. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verses 26 and 27. Who declared it from the beginning that we might know and beforehand that we might say he is right. There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed it, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Zion, behold, here they are. And I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. Now think about this. What a tremendous way of demonstrating Yahweh's prophetic power. The audience would be reading a written account of current events written and sealed by a prophet who had been dead at that time for more than 150 years. This whole thing is only happening because Cyrus is growing in power and beginning to threaten Babylon. And then you unseal a prophecy written and tucked away for 150 years. That prophecy declaring that the return to Jerusalem is near and that Yahweh is the one responsible. He predicts not only the events, but the people's response and their tendency to turn to idols once their burden has been lifted. And he includes in that letter a challenge to those idols, which by the very nature of how the challenge is delivered demonstrates his superiority. This is like a boxing champion challenging a 10-year-old to a boxing match by writing the challenge on the championship belt and giving it to him. Here you go. Let's fight. So how do we apply this, Grace Fellowship? Know that there is none like Yahweh. 
who works through the nations and across time to accomplish his purposes for his glory. And so we can be comforted when God brings us into difficult situations. We can know that he has not abandoned us. He is the one who saves. So when your work is overwhelming, don't turn to escapes of entertainment or drink or food to bring you strength. Seek it from Yahweh who saves. And when you despair over the current events and the way that the world is, know that God is just as much in control of nations now as he always has been. Personally, I was struggling last week as my wife and I were looking over our finances. Unexpected expenses were straining our budget, and I found myself tempted to hold back from giving our full tithe for the year. Just until we were in better shape. But I was reminded by these verses of the incredible power and love of our God. He saves. He saves. Not my financial circumstances. And it's a joy and it's an honor to give to this body and to the Lord's work in his kingdom. And sure enough, God provided. So we've seen Yahweh issue his challenge to the gods. And we've seen him crush his challengers. And we could probably stop here and go home happy knowing that God did an amazing work in the past for Judah. But my friends, God's not done. The trial is not over. God still has the floor. He's still devastating his challengers. And no one is going to take away God's glory for the salvation that he's bringing to his people. It's not by man's might that salvation comes. It's not by the work of any other gods. Only Yahweh is worthy of the glory. And now he's going to prove it by showing off. Let's read Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the peoples, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am Yahweh, 
That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So now God brings a new player into the scene. The doors to the courtroom burst open and in comes a figure, a servant. Isaiah 42, 1, God cries out, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice. To the nations. This is a new revelation. God is revealing not just the fact that He is responsible for saving His people, but He is now revealing the method that He will use to do it. This servant becomes a new central figure to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 42 is the first of four poems that are known as servant songs. That are all exploring the identity of this servant. So in the moment of God's awesome and demonstrable power to control the future. As he shows that he has predicted the future in his past prophecy from Isaiah. He does it again. He jumps even further forward into the future. He brings his servant onto the scene. Through whom he will accomplish his salvation. In Isaiah 45, 48, and 49, which we'll be reading here in the coming weeks, Judah and or Israel is referenced directly as the servant of God. God's people are themselves an instrument of salvation. But we must also consider two key verses as we are reading and interpreting this passage. The first is in verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So Yahweh is continuing his argument from chapter 41. The previous prophecy of Judah's salvation from Babylon, from captivity, is coming to pass. And Yahweh is capitalizing on his proven ability to tell the future... To give a new promise of future salvation. Beyond Judah's immediate context of deliverance from Babylon. And even beyond the context of salvation for only Judah. And with that in mind, the second key verses that we need to read as we're interpreting this passage comes from Matthew 15. Jesus has been performing many healings. And some of which were done on the Sabbath, which was prompting the religious leaders to conspire against him. Matthew twelve fifteen through 21 says this. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken By the prophet Isaiah. 
Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So in Isaiah, God makes a promise to his people that he will save them from captivity. And he provides three amazing evidences of his faithfulness. He then makes a promise of future salvation beyond just one nation, but to all of the nations. Go back to Isaiah 42, 6 through 7. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant to the peoples, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And Jesus reveals himself to be the fulfillment of that prophecy. So that even those outside of Judah may have hope in him. Isaiah 42, 8. I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. What a glorious God. Who could ever conceive of such a plan of salvation? Not just for a nation within a particular time of history. Not just for a people that are begrudgingly tied to a holy God and he's stuck with them. But a plan of salvation for all of the nations from sin and death itself of life forever through the Son of God. So how can mankind respond? We've seen our own strength fail. We've seen the strength of our own gods fail. But we've seen the incredible power and majesty of a glorious God go beyond what we could even hope or imagine. Read with me Isaiah 42, 10 through 17 and see Yahweh accept his prize. Excuse me. Sing to Yahweh a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voices. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the habitants of Selah Raise their voices up. Sorry, sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to Yahweh and declare his praise in the coastlands. Yahweh goes out like a mighty man, 
like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste to mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light and rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. So how can mankind respond? The only response is to sing to the Lord, to sing his praises and glorify the name of Yahweh. And who exactly will be singing? Everyone. They list three nations specifically in this passage. Isaiah 42.10 You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. These cities were to the west of Judah and they were the wealthiest and the strongest nations. 42.11a let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits. These were a coalition of rulers that were to the north and the east of Judah. And that included the nomadic tribes that roamed throughout the desert. And 42.11b. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. And Selah means the strong city and it was the capital of Edom, the nation that was to the south. So who will sing praises to the Lord? North, south, east, west, everyone, rich and poor, strong and weak, and even Edom. These were the descendants of Esau, the twin of Jacob, which started in the womb as a conflict. Even they will be reconciled to the Lord and they will sing for joy at the work of his servant. This is the God that we serve, my friends. Yahweh is a mighty warrior, strong and passionate, active and faithful. And he can't resist one final dig at the idol sitting beside him there. Silent and motionless, pitiful, all alone. Isaiah 42, 17. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. So let's, apl let's apply. My friends, serving with Christ is the greatest glory and honor that there is my life your life have meaning not just in the short term 
but as part of God's glorious destiny. So when you patiently instruct your child for the thousandth time, you are participating in God's glorious plan of salvation for the world. When you trust your money to the Lord and you support GFC missionaries in Uganda or Japan, you are participating in God's mission to open blinded eyes and to bring prisoners from the dungeon. When you invite your coworkers to hear more about the gospel, you are joining your voice to the nations which are singing God's praise throughout time. And my friends, all of this, whether majestic or mundane, is to the glory of God through his son, Jesus Christ. So to summarize, in these chapters, we've seen Yahweh call out idols for judgment. We've seen them respond in silence and inability to act, while Yahweh, the Lord, speaks throughout time, and he orchestrates the rise and the fall of nations to accomplish his own purposes for his glory. And we've seen God reveal his future plan for redemption, not just of a single nation or at a single moment in history, but his plan to redeem all of creation from the beginning of time through his faithful servant. We've seen him demonstrate his power and righteousness, completely shaming all other challengers, which leads us to the only right response of awe and worship. Praise unto his holy name. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word, for your word throughout time. Um, It was awe-inspiring when you spoke it through your prophet Isaiah. It's awe-inspiring when we read it today. Lord God, you are the great God. There is none like you. We thank you that we have the privilege to honor you and bring you glory in our lives. Help us this week as we go about um, that work, uh, your work of the kingdom. And we thank you, God, that we are part of your people, that we can do these things for you. And Lord God, we ask that you would do that in us every day. Amen.